Welcome to MedTech Connect, a new digital health regulations podcast from Sightline. I'm your host, Hannah Daniel, and I'm a U.S. regulatory reporter for MedTech Insight. Every month, we'll interview a regulatory expert in the digital health industry who will help us break down policies and guidances coming out of the FDA, as well as other hot-button issues such as cybersecurity concerns, the rise of AI and ML, or the fight to protect medical data. New episodes publish monthly, so be sure to follow Pharma Intelligence on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and tune in to get notified when new MedTech Connect episodes come out. In this episode, I'm speaking to Kellyanne Payne, partner at Hogan Levels. She advises artificial intelligence, or AI, medical device manufacturers with pre-market submissions and helps them navigate the complicated regulatory landscape. We spoke about current FDA regulations for AI medical devices and explained the importance of predetermined change control plans, a new cyber regulation from the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2023. Kellyanne, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here today. Thank you. It's great to be here. I appreciate the time and I'm, I'm excited to have this conversation. Do you mind introducing yourself real quick and telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name is Kellyanne Payne. I am a partner at Hogan Lulz, um, the law firm based out of Washington, D.C. and London. I sit in the Philadelphia office. Um, I've been at the firm since 2005 and I focus on assisting companies through the FDA medical device regulatory process. Um, I have a background in biology prior to going to law school. And so it was a good fit to work on medical device technologies and law. So I wanted to start out by looking at the regulatory approval landscape of medical devices with AI and ML capabilities. Do you know about the ratio of how many devices are approved to not approved? Yeah, I don't know that you would know the exact numbers of what's been approved and what's been denied because some submissions, you know, if they get denied, they get withdrawn or, uh, you know, the like. So so you may never know they even existed or were being reviewed by the agency. Um, they've been reviewing devices, I would say, with AI capabilities for quite some time. And, and they do have a list um, on their website of all the devices that the agency has approved with AI, artificial intelligence or ML machine learning capabilities. Um, so I think it's an area they, they feel pretty comfortable with. I think they're learning as they go, especially as more and more areas embrace you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning as well as deep learning. Um, I guess when I say AI, I, I, you know, I cover all of those. Um, so I, you know, I, I don't think there's a specific number I can tell you that I've been approved versus denied, but there, there is a, there is a list and it lists all this, you know, 15 Ks and DeNovos, um, that have gone through that, that contain some type of AI functionality on the agency's website. Again, the ones that haven't been approved or cleared to the agency, we may not know about. Yeah, that makes sense. The reason I ask is because I know that there are a lot of regulatory challenges that come with submitting AI and ML devices um, to the FDA for pre-market approval. So do you mind talking about what some of those challenges are and how companies are dealing with them? Sure. I, I think some of the challenges from a regulatory and, and industry perspective are that you know, the agency so far has only cleared locked algorithms. So FDA does not allow devices and machine learning to continue to, you know, adaptively learn in the field. And so I think there's a bit of a tension there between industry and FDA because industry and AI can move so fast. Um, whereas the agency wants to kind of keep AI devices in the same regulatory framework that they've kept most, you know, traditional medical devices, and therefore they 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 clear locked algorithms. So um, it's a bit of a tension, I would say, and, and a challenge, and something for people to understand going in um, to the FDA regulatory approval process. 
That said, I think FDA is trying to find ways to allow people to iterate and kind of embrace what AI and machine learning can do. Um, and so they've come up with the predetermined change control plan options. Um, so you can see, you know, Caption Health has one in their, their de novo for their caption guidance system. Um, and then in the recent Omnibus package, uh, predetermined change control plans were included in that to allow the agency to clear such plans through the 510K pathway. So essentially, you would get your product cleared or approved that has some AA capabilities, it would be locked, but you could also then come back to the agency in a 510K notice and negotiate a predetermined change control plan to say, okay, these are the types of changes I'm allowed to make in the field. I've come to an agreement with the agency on these, and I do not need to come back with a marketing submission for these types of changes. So they're trying to come up with a middle ground that, you know, they're not... the. the the algorithms aren't adaptively learning, but there is a plan in place to allow modifications to take place in the field. So just to clarify, locked devices can't make any more changes to the algorithm before they enter the market. Yeah, it has to be set before they do their pivotal validation on the algorithm, right? So FDA understands that you're going to train devices, you're going to fine tune them with internal training and validation sets. But you have to lock that algorithm, no more changes, and then you can evaluate it from standalone performance or, you know, your pivotal clinical study, whatever you're required to do through FDA. And then that data on that locked algorithm becomes, you know, the basis for which FDA will clear that device. So it has to be locked, not before it goes to market, but before it gets evaluated on its final pivotal validation set. Gotcha. Yeah, this is a problem, a question that I've had conversations with many people in the industry who are working with software as a medical device or as a part of a medical device who are trying to keep up with the changing landscape of technologies and who have to go back to the FDA every time they want to make an update to their software. So getting into these predetermined change control plans or PCCPs, this seems like a pretty good compromise between the FDA and manufacturers so that manufacturers can kind of explain look, these are the changes I plan to make post-market for safety and effectiveness of the device? Yeah, it could be in an original de novo submission. For example, you can see it's publicly available in Caption Guidance um, de novo summary, you know, that it allows for a predetermined change control plan in that device. Or some people take a stepwise approach, or at least it's what the omnibus is going to allow for, which says I get my device cleared and then I come back in a separate 510k notice and I negotiate what a predetermined change control plan is going to look like in a separate 510k notice. So they're allowing, you know, for that pathway, um, hopefully for PCCP. So people have some flexibility. What people need to understand is the changes that you can make in the field and the data that support those changes, your performance has to essentially be superior to the device you version that you got cleared. So we're no longer talking about a substantial equivalence when we're talking about a PCCP. We're talking about improved performance if you're going to make those changes in the field. Is it possible to submit more than one PCCP as time goes on? Or is it just one and done in the original application? Yeah, I mean, in theory, yes, that that you can, you could probably submit one, you've made those changes over time, it's, you know, run its course, that PCCP, so you're going to come back to FDA, you know, maybe with an updated PCCP. The problem is the changes that you make in the field to those devices, if you have to come back for a new submission, say there's a change that triggers that could not, you know, affect safety and, and efficacy or raise new questions of safety and efficacy, 
standard outside of the PCCP for which, you know, it's it's essentially a new device or it's a new algorithm and it's not agreed upon with FDA and you need a new 510K notice, you have to use the cleared version of the device largely as your predicate, right? The changes in the field will be more of like a traditional, what we call a catch-up 510K notice. You're going to have to let FDA know what you've changed in the field in accordance with that PCCP when you come back in. Um, so it's not like they won't know. Eventually, they will be caught up based on the next iteration that requires a new 510K notice. So now a little opinion question. Do you believe that the FDA is doing enough to regulate AI and medical devices or is it doing too much? Is it too restrictive for innovation? I don't know if it's the regulations. And, and when I was doing a year in review webinar recently, I went and looked at the novos for AI devices this past year. And de novo is the middle ground, right? There's nothing like you on the market, but you're low to moderate risk that you can kind of down classify yourself to class through the, the de novo pathway. And it's it's usually very popular with AI devices because they are essentially a bit new and novel and maybe there's not a predicate on the market. Um, and I have to say, I did not see, you know, many uh, de novos with, that had AI capabilities this past year. And I don't know that it's the regulations, but I think it's FDA's increasing data burden and requirements for AI devices. I think FDA, you know, over time is learning what's needed and maybe they want, you know, larger data sets. They want pure separation of your training and validation data sets. And sometimes it's hard for uh, companies to gather this data. And especially in the quantity that maybe FDA requires to um, assess the device performance. It can be tough because sometimes they want, you know, subgroups, you know, analyses. Sometimes they want them powered. If they're not powered, that's on you if the performance is too low. Um, so it really starts to balloon sample sizes and data sets. And, you know, in the past, we would see them maybe take data sets from the same institution for training and validation. Um, but separate them by time points. You know, now they're they're seeming to want more and more separation of data sets by site. They want more and more geographic diversity. They want population diversity. So, you know, the burden is becoming a bit more and more as we progress through time with, with AI devices. I hope you're enjoying this episode of MedTech Connect. If you want to hear more podcasts like this, make sure to follow Pharma Intelligence on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts to be notified about the newest episodes. Also, don't forget to check out our daily news publication, MedTech Insight, at medtech.pharmaintelligence.informa.com for all the latest on medical devices in the EU and US. Again, that's medtech.pharmaintelligence.informa.com. Now, back to the episode. So as a part of your work, you assist a lot of companies who are submitting pre-market submissions for AI devices. I would love to hear more about what it's like to work with a company to get an AI device approved. Sure. So um, again, it's public knowledge and on the DeNovo summary that our firm helped Viz AI with their first DeNovo for their contact CT device. Um, so it's an AI device that can um, detect large occlusion with a certain sensitivity and specificity on imaging and then alert a specialist, you know, of those potential findings. And so in working with, you know, manufacturers, I think, I think it's important to really help them clearly define, like, where does this algorithm fit in a standard clinical workflow? What is the population of patients that you're going to train on? Is it representative of what you, you say your indications for use are? Um, are the data sets, you know, not too old where it's not the same imaging standard of care that we're going to be assessing, you know, today? 
Um, is their training data really separate from their validation data set? Have they reused any validation data set? So there's a lot of questions, I think, that, you, you know, at the outset, you really want um, sponsors and manufacturers to understand and as well as to learn from them, right? Like they're the closest to these algorithms and these databases and um, they understand the clinical workflow. And I think it's important. A lot of them bring a lot of, you know, clinical and um, AI expertise. And, and it's important that they have all of that in-house to be able to help them, you know, define the product, craft it, and make sure it has clinical utility and fits into the clinical workflow appropriately. In talking with other experts who do this kind of consultation, I found that a lot of people are seeing a shift from traditional medical device companies that are making these submissions to more tech companies that are making these regulatory submissions. Are you seeing a similar shift in the AI space, as in there are more people who aren't familiar with FDA regulations that are now suddenly having to navigate a very complex regulatory landscape? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, you know, more and more every day, you know, I have a phone call with someone who they're really a software developer, right? Or that they're um, a software manufacturer. And so I think to have to enter the FDA regulated medical device space is, is, is can be very daunting, especially when you're used to changing and iterating and bug fixing and, and updating and, you know, changing user interfaces very quickly. Um, you know, now you're in a different, in a different world and a different playing field as far as regulations go. And, you know, what you need to document internally, how you're documenting it, um, and, you know, what needs to be given to FDA as, as well, and just making sure it's, it's validated, it, it's going to be validated well enough to pass FDA muster. Yeah, even though the devices can be similar in technology, it's a completely different type of regulation. And it definitely moves slower than I think the speed that which these tech companies are used to working. Yeah, I, people are shocked. I mean, sometimes I, I, I'm a little too blunt, but you know, it, it takes years. It, this isn't some, this has been a, you know, people see the 510k notice, they think 90 days for the, the review timeline, but that's a lot of pre-submission interactions with the agency. That's a lot of negotiating, you know, protocols ahead of that submission. And those submissions get placed on hold about 60 days in, it's answering questions. Um, so, it, you know, it, it could take time, especially if you're in the de novo space, like with Viz AI, it was negotiating a whole new device type. You know, CAD triage didn't necessarily exist before that. So um, that takes time internally on FDA side too, right? To come up with product codes and special controls and and all of those parameters that have to be put in place for that de novo process, which a lot of AI devices had gone through in the past. Yeah, it seems like we're really at the beginning of this regulatory journey. You know, we're still learning and FDA is still learning too. Um, in this AI space, you know, it started at my experience, at least started out in radiology, it's moved to pathology, it's moved to cardiology, it's moved to fertility um, treatments and OBGYN, it's moved to orthopedics. And so I think as every division learns too, you know, it, there's gonna, there's gonna be learnings and, and roadblocks and stumbles along the way, but I don't think it's because FDA is not trying. I just think, people have to be really clear in defining like what their product is, what the utility is and where, where it fits. Because, you know, FDA doesn't clear platform necessarily technologies for AI to detect, you know, every cancer, they, they clear things indication by indication. And so it's just, it's a mindset um, that people have to get into if they're going to, I think, deal with the agency. Thank you so much for being on our podcast today, Kellyanne. Your insights were wonderful and it was great talking to you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. MedTech Connect is a podcast by Sightline. If you'd like to learn more about this topic, check out MedTech Insight. 
There you can find any articles we mentioned in this episode and more articles on the subject. This podcast and others by Sightline are available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn, so make sure to follow to get the latest updates on when new episodes are published. Thanks for listening, and be on the lookout for more MedTech Connect episodes every month.